We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 360 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Friday, July 22nd, 2022. No more vacation in this uh, vacation week for the podcast. We are back home, uh, returned home on Thursday. Had a screaming 23-month-old daughter in the back for the final hour of the trip, including <laughs> including when we hit traffic on 495, because of course there was traffic on 495 on a Thursday around noon. Why wouldn't there be traffic on 495 on a Thursday around noon? But hey, at least we weren't flying commercial, right? I mean, things could have been so much worse for us had we been suffering the pain and indignity of flying commercial as poor Juan Soto was made to do en route to Los Angeles for this week's All-Star festivities. Boy, this Juan Soto was made to fly commercial thing really has erupted into quite the thing. Normally, it is the commanders who are the Washington, D.C. area team involved in something like this Juan Soto was made to fly commercial thing. This week, though, it has been the Nationals. And what a last seven days with this Juan Soto situation. You know, one week ago today, last Friday, there was virtually zero sentiment that the Nats might trade Juan Soto this season. And over the last seven days, last Saturday through today, Friday, everything has changed with our superstar right fielder for the Nats. It all started last Saturday afternoon, right? The multiple reports that Soto has turned down a 15-year, $440 million contract extension offer from the Nats, who now are open to trading him this season. And since last Saturday afternoon, a parade of comments and reports all about the Nats and Soto, Soto and the Nats. The Nats and Soto remain the talk of the baseball world. This really has been something to see. And of course, included in all of this talk, the reveal from Soto's agent, Scott Boris, to Sports Illustrated on Monday that Soto flew commercial to LA. Oh my goodness. Uh, as opposed to having a flight chartered for him by the Nats. And we, over the last few days, have had all kinds of people in the baseball world chiming in on who is in the right and who is in the wrong in Flightgate. Did you see the tweet from former Nats closer Jonathan Papelbon this week? Yes, 
Jonathan Papelbon, a.k.a. the DC Strangler, as he was once called by Nats outfielder Jason Wirth. You know, the DC Strangler. <laughs> yeah, you know, the DC Strangler, the guy who tried to strangle a Nats outfielder, Bryce Harper, during a game in September 2015. Anyway, Jonathan Papelbon on Wednesday afternoon tweeted the following quote Like I said earlier, the Nats are the worst organization in MLB. I will say it for you, Soto. F you, you bunch of petty ass bitches. <laughs> End quote. I mean, geez, strong words from the DC Strangler. You know, the DC Strangler. Yeah, the DC Strangler. Jonathan Papelbon apparently tweets as harshly as he tries to strangle people. Well, uh, two things can be true. Yes, the learners are notorious for cutting costs and extracting every last dollar from every situation. The learners have had this reputation for years, but also, yes, nobody, and I mean nobody, has any sympathy for a millionaire multiple times over in Juan Soto having been made to fly commercial. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Not with what's going on in the country right now, with inflation and gas prices, although gas prices have come down some here lately, and the torture that has become flying uh, with all of these canceled flights. And, you know, I get that it wasn't Soto complaining about the flight. It was Scott Boris complaining about the flight. But still, I have to tell you, I'm already sick of hearing about Flightgate, so enough of that. Hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Two special guests on the show. Next segment, Ian Wharton of Pro Football Network to talk commanders. Ian is one of the most diverse people out there when it comes to talking NFL. He knows X's and O's. He knows analytics. He knows fantasy football. He knows gambling. Uh, Ian hits for the cycle when it comes to talking NFL, so you will hear all of his expertise in my conversation with him. Ian is bullish on the commanders for the 2022 season. He'll explain why. Uh, Ian has a very sober and objective take on quarterback Carson Wentz, and Ian has a very positive opinion on running back Antonio Gibson. Ian has studied Gibson quite a bit and has found this narrative of Gibson to be lacking in vision to be wrong, to be fake news. Uh, You'll hear Ian on that and a lot more next segment. And then after my chat with Ian Wharton talking commanders, a welcome on Eric Arditi of Barstool Sports, co-host of the Exit 52 podcast, to talk Orioles. Uh, Eric is a big O's fan. He, like just about every other O's fan on the planet, very excited about what the O's have done so far this season with the rebuild, finally, mercifully, yielding some success at the major league level. And so Eric and I will go in-depth on the O's as MLB's post-All-Star break portion of the 2022 regular season has begun. Uh, Always know that this podcast The Al Galdi podcast talks Orioles. Uh, This is a Washington, D.C. sports podcast, but this is a podcast that does not pretend like there are no O's fans in the D.C. area. There remain many O's fans in the D.C. area. I hear from them all of the time. Uh, And if you happen to be one of those fans, you'll enjoy my conversation with Eric Arditi of Barstool Sports. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Keith on something that I talked about on Thursday's show, episode 359. A number of eerie parallels between the 2012 Redskins and the 2022 Commanders, writes Keith. Another parallel between 2012 and 2022, the franchise celebrating 
an anniversary. 2012 was the 80th anniversary, and 2022 is the 90th anniversary. Uh, yes, <laughs> there you go, Keith. Thank you for the tweet. Uh, the two teams, the 2012 Redskins and the 2022 Commanders, of course, 10 years apart. So we had the 80th anniversary of the franchise in 2012, and we now have the 90th anniversary of the franchise in 2022. I'm telling you, there's some interesting juju going on here. Uh, email from Kim in Pennsylvania on the national situation with Juan Soto. Will they trade him by the MLB trade deadline on August 2nd? Should they trade him by the MLB trade deadline on August 2nd? Writes Kim, we dump Bryce Harper, Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, Max Scherzer, and now maybe Juan Soto and Josh Bell. I mean, if you were a good player, (laughs) you should pack your bags because you're out. I know we have to have a farm team, prospects, etc., and you get those things from selling these stars, but it just seems to me that we make progress, then go back to zero. So frustrating. Then we get the number five overall pick, and it's a crapshoot. Like you, I love the Orioles, but their journey has been harsh. I feel like the Nats are heading in that direction, too, with another sell-off. Dang, I wouldn't know what jersey to buy anymore. I've got Steven Strasburg's, but dot, dot, dot. Uh, thank you for the email, Kim. By the way, speaking of Nat starting pitcher Steven Strasburg, a report earlier this week from MLB insider John Heyman of the New York Post, Strasburg is, in fact, expected to miss the rest of this season. So there's that uh, with the Nats these days as well. Heyman, by the way, is known to be tight with Strasburg's agent, uh, Juan Soto's agent as well, Scott Boris. Uh, Kim, I hear you. I totally do. Now, the situation for each player who Kim mentioned was slash is different. Bryce Harper, for example, was not traded away by the Nats. Bryce Harper left the Nats via free agency. But I get where Kim is coming from. I do. Uh, You know, and I I guess all I can say is this. There are a few general factors in play here. A major factor. One that I really can't emphasize enough is the frequency with which mega money contracts in Major League Baseball do not work out. I mean, at this point, unless you are a team with near unlimited financial resources like the New York Yankees or the Los Angeles Dodgers, giving out contracts that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars to players is a sucker's bet. The list of mega money contracts in MLB that have actually worked out for teams, that have actually proven to not be regrettable from a club perspective, pales in comparison to the list of mega money contracts in MLB that have not worked out for teams. And so if you have a player worthy of a mega money contract, but you do not want to give that player a mega money contract, then yeah, uh, you need to trade that player and get back something for that player. Another factor in all of this is aging. Uh, Now that MLB has legitimate testing for performance-enhancing drugs, we are seeing true, legitimate aging curves in MLB. And the truth is that guys decline in their 30s, sometimes sooner than you think. And so if you're giving a mega-money contract to someone who soon will be in his 30s, uh, like, say, shortstop Trey Turner, for whom this season is his age 29 season and also a contract season, uh, well, you need to think long and hard about giving that player a mega money contract. Because what often has happened with these mega money contracts is that teams have paid players for what they have done, not for what they will do. Uh, The saying that I use all of the time is don't pay a guy in his 30s for what he did 
in his 20s. And then a third factor is the state of the Nats. Uh, They're terrible, okay? And their farm system isn't very good. And so guys like starting pitcher Max Scherzer and outfielder Kyle Schwarber last season and first baseman Josh Bell this season, all of whom were slash are in contract seasons, needed slash need to be traded because the Nats need all of the young promising players who the team can get. Not trading good players who can leave you for nothing via free agency is malpractice if you're the Nats. Now, the Juan Soto situation is different. He's not said to be a free agent until after the 2024 season, and that's a big part of why the Nats potentially trading him this season is so controversial. The Nats do not have to trade Soto this season, but it's a funny thing. The fact that he's not a free agent until after the 2024 season is, on the one hand, reason not to trade him right now, but on the other hand, That's very much reason to trade him right now because the fact that Soto has two plus seasons left of team control means that the Nats should be able to command a monster haul for Soto. Uh, And this is why, to me, the Nats should be open to trading Soto this season, especially if they really believe that there's little chance of him signing a contract extension with the team. And by the way, I do believe that there is little chance of Soto signing a contract extension with the team. I have never felt that there's a great chance that Soto will sign a contract extension with the Nats. And right now, that chance feels like zero, given the state of the team and the state of the team's farm system and the Nats' ownership uncertainty, which may be the biggest factor of all. Well, perhaps the biggest factor in happiness in life is health. And if your health or if the health of someone who you know has been victimized by the negligence of someone else, do not hesitate to contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses whose practices or products are directly related to the root of your harm. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients' harm more than the offers benefit the clients. You see, Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And this is because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202 902- 902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace.
All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, Don't forget to give the podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you are really feeling generous, uh, please consider writing a brief review of the podcast, uh, saying that you like the podcast. You can write a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. So we now are inside of a week until the start of 2022 Commander's Training Camp, uh, which will begin This Wednesday, July 27th, uh, it'll be on Tuesday, July 26th, that Commander's players uh, will be reporting for conditioning tests for training camp. The Commander's offseason is ending. Uh, The season of Commander's football activity is beginning. And in our continuing quest to get ready for that season, I'm very pleased to welcome another special guest to the podcast, Ian Wharton of Pro Football Network. Uh, Ian is really good at talking X's and O's and analytics and fantasy football and gambling, and he's back on the podcast with us here. You can follow Ian on Twitter at NFL Film Study. Hey, Ian, how are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you coming back on. Before we get into some specifics with the commanders, what are your general thoughts on the team for the 2022 season? Yeah, I think it's an exciting outlook uh, for Washington. I, I thought how last year ended uh, was a good kind of gauge for what to expect early this season. I think, you know, it took a little bit of time for the defense to kind of gel and get into um, where they should, where we all expected entering the season. Obviously it was a little bit of a letdown seeing the defense and especially the secondary struggle early on. I, I kind of expected them to be a much more solid unit. And I thought as the season progressed, they started to show that a little bit more. I think the staff started to figure out, where guys needed to be a little bit better. Individuals were just playing a little bit better, and maybe some of that's just maturation, and and some of that's just from uh, recognizing their skills a little bit better. Obviously, getting Chase Young back, that'll be a huge plus, but uh, I like what the offense has done as well. I thought overall it was a very positive offseason for a team that was a little bit limited as far as their resources uh, to get better. I thought that they did their best to maximize um, those assets, and uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of like the decision, especially at quarterback, um, getting Carson Wentz, I think that's going to be uh, the big storyline for the entire season. Obviously, because it's it's such a big change. Um, did they make the right call at that position? And so, um, overall, I think it's I'm optimistic about this team entering the year. So, with the Commanders having traded for quarterback Carson Wentz, you, in a piece for Bleacher Report earlier this month, wrote of Wentz, quote, Washington should not believe Wentz will be its franchise quarterback for years to come. He's not a good value even with average play. However, he can simultaneously be an overpaid quarterback and the best option the Commanders have had at the position in several years, end quote. Sounds like you believe what a lot of people in the Washington, D.C. area believe. Carson Wentz isn't a great quarterback and probably isn't a long-term answer at quarterback for the Commanders, but he this coming season is more than capable of having a good season and providing the team with the best quarterback play that the team has had in a while. Yeah, he's he's such a tough guy, you know, and this is why franchises keep giving him opportunities because he is so talented he's he's really he has those moments that are so exciting he's really great out of structure uh he's athletic great arm strong uh downfield thrower creates those huge highlight plays um that make you believe and you see the franchise potential in him and i think he will thrive in that this offense and he, he will do things for this offense that they didn't see last year and and they really desperately needed uh, they just haven't had a playmaker at the position in several years. And so th- those parts, those things are going to be 
a nice addition to this offense, especially for a speedy wide receiving crew that will thrive with downfield passing. But on the other hand, it's within structure. It's the accuracy issues. It's the consistency issues. Um, reading a defense pre-snap, understanding what the defense is about to do to you consistently. Those are things that Wentz has still struggled with since college. And he hasn't really progressed uh, to the level that he's needed to to be that long-term starter. And so the question is, is where does that balance fall? And when Wentz is at his best, he uh, accommodates for those limitations very well because he's creating consistently. Last year in Indianapolis, he did a good job kind of controlling his uh, his negatives and his limitations up until about the final month of the season. And then it all kind of came crashing down. Not all of that's just on Wentz. Some of it's just infrastructure and things around him. Washington has a better supporting cast, so maybe that will help. Um, but you want to try to not put too much on his shoulders because when it does go wrong, it limits the offense because he starts throwing interceptions or fumbling or uh, not making the right reads, missing open guys. Those things kind of cascade for Wentz. So those are the reasons why I would say he might not be the long-term starter. But when you put him into the right ecosystem, especially for stretches, and that's kind of what you're looking to get out of him. Can you get a four to six game stretch at a time where he's really good? If you can get that in time right, it can really change this unit. Uh, it can really change the outlook for Washington, especially in a division that I think is pretty open. Um, and I think that's why he will be a net positive is that he has those really good moments and he showed it with Indianapolis. And they, I was actually surprised Indianapolis gave up on him so quickly. Like I didn't think, especially without a backup plan in place to start, they were just kind of willing to dump him. So I don't think he was bad last year. He just had one of those cold streaks at like the exact wrong time that he couldn't afford to. Yeah, trust me. Uh, we have spent a lot of time this offseason trying to figure out the truth about why the Indianapolis Colts gave up on Carson Wentz after just one season. And clearly, every Commanders fan should be going into the Carson Wentz experience with eyes wide open. At the same time, though, there was a lot to like about Wentz's 2021 season. It certainly did not end well, but it also was very much a bounce back season from his hideous 2020 season. Yeah, I agree. And it's it's tough because it's his contract, you know, obviously complicates things. Um, and it's hard to not look at the scope of like what you're paying for what you're getting. Um, any type of locker room issues, you know, those things are tough. We don't we really don't know. Um, I don't know what really happened in Philadelphia. It sounds like maybe he just kind of wore out his welcome. And some of that might just be your top former top draft pick. And we had expectations of X and you gave us Y. And so Things are different now in Washington. He doesn't have the same expectations as he did in Philadelphia. He didn't, you know, he wasn't traded for a first round pick like he was in Indianapolis. So I think expectations are probably different now. And those, it's a very minute thing. It's something that really shouldn't matter after the trade's done, but it might matter. And so for this regime, I think that their expectations are going to be you just need to be a decent quarterback for us. Well, Wentz has been a decent quarterback. I think I'm with you. I agree. I think he's gotten to the point where he might be a little bit undervalued. He's an average quarterback. That's still valuable in the right situation, especially when you're not worried about the draft pick that you gave up for the guy. You're not worried about having a, one of the biggest contracts in the NFL because he doesn't necessarily have that anymore because we've seen you know, 10 new contracts since his deal has been given out. So I think a lot has changed in the landscape and those things aren't, you know, they don't affect Wednesday to day now. And so they don't affect Washington as a franchise. So I think having the different perspective is going to help 
because I'm with you on the field. I think he's a fine player now. When it comes to the non-great quarterbacks traded this NFL offseason, and obviously we have had some high-level quarterbacks traded this offseason, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, but in terms of the non-great quarterbacks traded this offseason, how would you compare Carson Wentz with Matt Ryan and Baker Mayfield, putting aside what each guy was traded for, because what each guy was traded for was a function of circumstance and timing. But bottom line, how would you rank those three guys right now, Wentz, Ryan, and Mayfield? So I would have preferred, in, you know, kind of at the start, I mentioned, you know, you don't really know who's going to come available. I think Matt Ryan would have been my preference. I think if I were to pick anyone, it would have been Ryan. Um, he didn't go for much as a third round pick. You didn't know that he was going to come available, though. That was the big question. And I, I think until the Deshaun Watson pursuit happened, I don't think Atlanta was going to trade him. So Washington was kind of operating under different circumstances to where we didn't know that he was going to be out on the market. Maybe they would have made that move for Ryan if they could have. Um, but then again, you know, I think Atlanta, too, was also working with Ryan to find the preferred destination. And he may have preferred Indianapolis, too, uh, for whatever reason. So, But if I, were, if I were to rank them, I think I would have Ryan slightly ahead. He's 37, more risk of decline. So there are risks there. He's not physically as capable of transcending the offense like Wentz can because he's such an immense athlete. So you're getting you're, – I'm choosing consistency over um, the variance factor um, that Wentz has, and that's a good and bad thing, too. Uh, I probably would have Wentz over Baker Mayfield, though. Uh, Mayfield, to me, is uh, very similar issues, coming off a major injury, coming off of you know some locker room issues in Cleveland, um, where really there wasn't a reason for any of that to be an issue. So I, I think Mayfield just has a lot, a lot of similar questions. Honestly, I think they're very similar as, as talents. I think they're very similar as um, their play style. Whereas I think Wentz is coming off a better season. Doesn't have a major shoulder injury to be worried about. Um, he's at his, you know, obviously Wentz has his own injury history, but coming off of a better season. And I, like you said, I think he has a year and a half of good play, whereas Mayfield, he had a good 2020 season, but he didn't have a great 2019, didn't have a good 2021. So that inconsistency still weighs heavily for me. Much more Commander's Conversation with Ian Wharton of Pro Football Network in moments. I will next ask him about a truth regarding running back Antonio Gibson. Uh, This is a truth that Ian recently pointed out, but the truth about buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area is that doing so can be tricky, especially with everything going on right now. And so if you are wanting to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel, as in Kellen Hunt. As your real estate agent, visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. The Washington, D.C. area real estate market is competitive. We, of course, have all kinds of things happening with our economy right now. What is the right way to approach buying a home in the D.C. area? What are the best strategies? How do you make sure that your offer for the home that you want is the offer that wins. This is where Kellen Hunt comes in. Kellen Hunt has a mastery of the Washington, D.C. area real estate market, but he's not just some know-it-all. He is here for you, to listen to you, to hear what you want, and then determine the best way of going about getting you what you want, no matter your age or situation in life. His website says it all. Close it with Kel. 
Kellenhunt.com. Kellen Hunt is a closer. Kellen Hunt will close you buying the home that you want. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing and he wants to help. So visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K E L L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit closeitwithkell.com. Book an introductory call with Kellen Hunt at closeitwithkell.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well. By going with Kel. Visit closeitwithkel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. We get back now to our conversation with Ian Wharton of Pro Football Network talking commanders. So, Ian, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on was to discuss a recent tweet that you had about Antonio Gibson. Quote, I watched Antonio Gibson against the top rundies Washington faced last year, and I love how he squeezes every single yard he can physically manage to get. His patience and vision are great. Wish he was a bit quicker on cuts, but he'll flourish with Wentz more than Heineke. End quote. Uh, You know, Antonio Gibson is kind of a tricky guy to evaluate because there are people who feel like he is overrated. There are people who feel like he is underrated. There are people who say that his vision isn't very good. And then there are people who say that his vision is quite good. So you tell us, what is the truth about it? Antonio Gibson. Yeah, and the reason why I looked at those games is because he's he's been kind of like a hot and cold player, and some of that's not out of you know in his control. It's been there's been the offensive line injuries. There's been obviously quarterback has not had a great quarterback threat um, for several years, and so defense has kind of played him um, very tight to the line. They don't give a lot of running lane opportunities. They can kind of stack the box a little bit against him, and so he is a fascinating player because he is. A little hot and cold in his own play too. He's obviously a positional convert, and I think that there are examples of him uh, maybe not being the most natural running back, maybe not being um, the guy with the best vision. But I think that's why I looked at those games to say, like, are these just opportunities that he's missing? Are these opportunities that the team aren't creating for him? Uh, and I found, at least in, those, in that small sample, and from what I've seen, even just in general, not specifically looking at those games, I think he's a good athlete. I think he. He is a hard runner. I love the effort that he gives through plays. He tends to fall forward. I think he follows the scheme well. And so with that statement, when you're following the scheme effectively, you're doing as the play is designed. Sometimes you do miss holes. Sometimes there are going to be instances where there's a cutback and a more creative back or maybe a more sudden back um, than what he is because he, he played. seemed to play a little bit heavier last year. Um, than maybe the the previous season. He wasn't quite as quick with his cuts, wasn't quite as sharp with his cuts, uh, which, again, that may be a coaching staff thing. They may have wanted for him to be a little bit bit more powerful. When those things happen, we can kind of confuse those to say he doesn't have great vision. But you you can't have it both ways to where you're executing the scheme and you're lacking vision, right? So... I think that he gets confused sometimes as a back who has poor vision. I don't feel that way. I think there are potentially opportunities where, yes, I would love to see him make that big cutback, but understand that he's playing within the scheme for a reason. And there's a reason why the, the, the team is working that way. If the play was blocked correctly, it would have been a huge game. It wasn't a huge game because maybe the defender, and especially against those great defenses, New Orleans especially, 
there were some really great opportunities. If a certain player would have held their block a second longer, it would have been a huge play. But New Orleans has great run defenders. So there's a reason why those plays were blown up. And so I think he's a good back. Is he an elite talent? No, I don't think so. I don't think he's that type of athlete. I don't think he's that type of creative back. But I do think he's solidly in like that second tier where he is getting the most that's asked of him. He is getting the most possible outside of being an absolute freak athlete. Um, he's not Adrian Peterson. He's not one of those type of transcendent backs. That's okay. I still think he's a strong starter. I think he's going to get you what you can uh, reasonably expect every single game. And I like that he's also a receiving threat, too. I wish they would utilize him a little bit more. I think he is more of a bell cow back than what we've seen them use. Um, but at the same time, too, I think part of that is trying to keep him fresh, trying to keep uh, a, a good rotation of backs, because now at this point they are three to four backs deep on the roster. So I think they're trying to balance all of those things and not ask too much of Gibson. Uh, but I do think that he's probably um, – He's probably better than what the general person gives him credit for. I don't think he's only productive because he's given the opportunities, for example. Interesting to hear you say all of that because that is in contrast with what we have heard and read a good bit about Antonio Gibson. I'm curious, why do you believe that Gibson will flourish with Carson Wentz more so than Gibson did with Taylor Heineke as Washington's starting quarterback? Yeah, so part of that is is not only just because of the quarterback. I think Wentz will bring consistency to the offense. He's going to keep the chains moving a little bit more. He's going to uh, be more dynamic and respected as a passer for the defense. So instead of seeing seven, eight, nine-man boxes consistently, which I think we saw more last year, some of that also plays off of the receivers as well. So Wentz is going to be more able to go downfield. Diami Brown, uh, Jahan Dotson. Curtis Samuel, having these guys available, having them develop as young players, um, taking the attention away from uh, Gibson, are, those are all huge factors that affect a running back. And Wentz himself is more of a vertical passer anyways. Um, so I think that's going to cause the defense to say, okay, we have to play that extra safety instead of an extra linebacker, or we have to play the nickelback as opposed to an extra safety who can approach the line of scrimmage. Those are running angles that will be created for Gibson. Those are opportunities for him. Wentz is also uh, happy to dump passes off to his running back. So I think that there's a play style there. There's also a personnel um, strengths uh, that will cater more to a running back finding success. That is just more natural, too. It's just it's just a matter of those opportunities presenting themselves as opposed to the defense walks into every game and say, okay, we're going to stop Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson. Those are our only two concerns. That doesn't exist now because you have to have a defense respecting Wentz's ability to create and create and find those big plays down the field. And that's going to affect personnel decisions and also alignment things for the defense. You do a lot with fantasy football. From a fantasy football perspective, who do you like on the commanders this coming season? Obviously, love Terry McLaurin. I think it's going to be a big year for him. Uh, he's just a great talent. This is the best quarterback he's played with. I think that's a pretty easy correlation there. Um, I like I like Gibson as well. A am I taking him over? You know, guys in his range, like particularly, am I like targeting him specifically um, in that late first, mid second round, and somewhere in that round? I'm not particularly going for him, uh, but I'm certainly not avoiding him either. I think his ADP around like Saquon well, Barkley, guys like that, like. I think that's pretty smart because he's going to get the volume. I think he could 
stand to do better this year because he, there is a stronger supporting cast around him. Um, I don't love that Washington added Brian Robinson. I don't love that J.D. McKissick um, is back on the roster. Like I think those are opportunities that could um, cause him to not do as well as he should because, again, I think he can handle more. I think he should be more of the uh, uh, type of workhorse back that can handle three downs a little bit more often. I wish that they'd give that to him. I don't think that they will. I like those two guys a lot. I think Dawson is more of like a late round flyer, potentially Logan Thomas. Once we know that he's healthy, um, he will be a guy that you can probably start. So he might be a late stash guy as a backup tight end. I think that'd be smart because he is so immensely talented when he's healthy. Um, but I would definitely look at, I think it's kind of a top heavy fantasy option roster. I don't think Curtis Samuels can be much of a uh, fantasy relevant player unless an injury happens or he starts to really prove himself. Um, so I'd be looking at McLaurin. I definitely love McLaurin. He's a guy I'm always more than happy to land. I think Gibson is good value at his current draft position. Um, and then I'm looking at, like I said, Dotson and Thomas. As late round flyers, you may have to swap them out early in the season if you need depth elsewhere. Uh, but I do think, especially Thomas, we've seen tight ends really flourish with Carson Wentz before. So I think once he's back on the field, he's definitely a, a solid value for, to, to even start. Yeah, with this history of Carson Wentz having thrown to tight ends a bunch, do you think that that's more of a function of circumstance, i.e. Wentz just hasn't played with many great receivers? Or is there something particular to Wentz as a quarterback to where he ends up throwing a lot to tight ends? Yeah, it's it's a great, you know, kind of chicken or the egg thing. I think for, for Wentz, it is more tied to he, he does like tight ends. And some of that goes back to North Dakota State. Um, he's been doing it since college, and I think that, that that's kind of a, uh, an interesting factor that it gets undersold, or sometimes it, it's not a factor. It's not the quarterback's fault. You know, look at Jared Goff, for example. He didn't really have a tight end at Cal, and he still likes throwing to the tight end. Now in the NFL, he likes throwing to the tight ends, especially in Detroit. But he didn't really with the Rams because they didn't really prioritize tight ends the same way. So some some guys, it really is just more of a product of the offensive guys. It's, it's just an aversion. Like, they just... They never have worked with a great tight end. I think Wentz has always had good tight ends. And so he's had good coaching staffs that see that and that want to maximize that. But I also think he is more willing to throw to tight ends. I think he's comfortable throwing over the middle of the field. Um, sometimes that backfires on him, but also sometimes that creates big plays. And that's kind of just a Wentz experience. He's willing to take risky throws. And that's what throws to tight ends often are. There's, there's small passing windows and you're trusting your guy to go get it. I think that's an overall positive mindset. It's just a matter of the execution. So I think there's a really good potential pairing between those two. You also do a good bit with gambling. The commander's over-under win total for the 2022 regular season has been 7.5 in a lot of shops. Uh, would you, in fact, play the over? I would, yeah. I think this will be one of those seasons where it's like an 8-9 win season. I'm a little bit lower on Dallas. I don't think that they really have a great um i think they'll be a good regular season team but i don't i don't even think that they are like the favorite to win the division to be honest so i i've been a little bit surprised at the optimism around dallas um from the sports books i think philadelphia is a strong team but i do think washington's good too like i said like i said at the start i think this is a team that should start a lot stronger than last year and i think that's where looking at last year's team and how that last season played out it's a much different season if they play the entire year uh with that gelled defense. And I think you're going to see more from Jameen Davis having Chase Young for the whole year. I think those things are, are such major positives. 
Um, they know their identity a little bit more. It's not like they went out and added several new starters to this defense. And so I'm really looking at the defense as the X factor for the team. I think the offense is going to be average, slightly better average. And that's more than enough. That's more than enough for eight or nine wins, especially in the NFC. The NFC is not great this year. So there is a window. I think the NFC East is also it's it's good. It's going to be competitive, but it's not like the Giants are a great team. I don't think Dallas is an overwhelming team. Um, obviously, Philadelphia has their own question marks at quarterback. So they're all vulnerable in their own ways. I think Washington's right in that mix. They have to just win those kind of coin flip matchups um, that didn't necessarily go their way last year. So I think it's a little bit more talent on the team, maybe a little bit more dynamic, dynamic uh, ability from the quarterback position. That can definitely flip two or three of those opportunities. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, I know that that's how a lot of us are thinking about the commanders for this coming season. Ian Wharton of Pro Football Network. You can follow him on Twitter at NFL Film Study. Ian, I appreciate your time very much. Thank you. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Up next, the second of our two special guests on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast, Eric Arditi of Barstool Sports Talking Orioles. Uh, Eric is a really big O's fan. He's a very smart O's fan, and he has a lot to say about the Orioles' surprising success so far in the 2022 season. If you are an O's fan, and I know that many of you listening are O's fans, uh, trust me, you do not want to miss this. It's straight ahead. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, both the Nationals and the Orioles will begin their post-All-Star break portions of the 2022 MLB regular season on Friday night. Uh, the Nats on Friday night at 9.40 will begin game one of a three-game series at the Arizona Diamondbacks. The O's on Friday night at 7.05 will begin game one of a three-game series against the major league-leading New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And whereas the Nats are in the midst of a terrible season, uh, the Nats are a major league worst 31-63 and with a major league worst run differential of minus 149, to say nothing of all of the trade talk and everything else going on right now with right fielder Juan Soto, the O's are in a much better place at the moment. The O's are at 500 at 46 and 46, and the O's are three and a half games behind the Toronto Blue Jays 
for the American League's third wildcard spot. The rebuild engineered by Orioles Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias is blossoming before our eyes. And joining me now to talk O's is a huge O's fan. He is Eric Arditi of Barstool Sports, co-host of the Exit 52 podcast. Uh, You can follow Eric on Twitter at E-D-I-T-T-I-22. Eric puts out a lot of great tweets about the O's, and it's very nice to have him on the podcast. Hey, Eric, how are you? I'm I'm very good. I appreciate you uh, having me on. Again, it's it's been fun to talk about the success of the Orioles and not like, hey, they've lost 19 in a row. What do you think of that? <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 been a it's been a it was a hell of a first half, and I, I'm excited to see what the second half holds. Yeah. So with the O's having done what they have done so far this season, what would you say that your expectations for the rest of the Orioles 2022 season are right now? I mean, it's it's kind of hard not to be like, I think of a, a wild card spot is is out of the is, you know, is out of the expectations. I think they could definitely do that. Um, obviously, it depends on what these other teams do and kind of what they do at the deadline. But um I mean, if they're, I, I think if they're in, if they're in the conversation starting September for a wild card spot, maybe they fade a little bit. You know, the young guys get tired. Again, they're going to lose probably some pieces. Um, if they're in the conversation for it, I, I, for a playoff spot, I am, I would be thrilled. I think that would be a great stepping stone for this year. Again, and you know, leading into next year, um, I. I don't want to be like, you know, they're going to make a wild card run, even though I kind of said that earlier. Like, hey, they're going to make, you know, they're going to make a push and they're going to, they're going to, you know, win the wild card game and they're going to face someone in the ALDS. I, I don't know about all that, but I think if they're just in the conversation, um, I think that would be great. And again, I, it blew away any expectation that any, any front running, you know, orange Kool Aid drinking Oriole fan had coming into this year. I don't think anyone saw them doing this. I, I told my buddy, if you would have told me at the deadline, or at the uh, first half of the All-Star break, that they would be 500, I, w- I would have had you drug tested. We would have had to get you a mental evaluation just because I don't think anyone thought they were going to be this good. So, Yeah, I mean, I think that the realistic best-case expectations for the Orioles coming into this season were that the season could be like the Orioles' 2011 season, you know, a season in which you see signs of things starting to get better. What's amazing is that this season really is starting to feel like the Orioles' 2012 season, a stunning bust-out season for the team. Yeah, yeah, and I had tweeted something like that earlier, like, oh, it smells like 2011, and, you know, and I meant more of just like they're going to spoil some seasons. They're going to, you know, again, take a team out of the play out of playoff contention. They're they're going to win a series in September that they shouldn't have, and maybe knock a team out or something like that. And then I had other people being like, "No, nah, bro, this is this is 2012. This is the they're going to win every game in extra innings, and you know they're going to win all the one run games and and just surprise the heck out of people." And yeah, that's that's what it's shaping up to be. And and again, it's it's. If they can keep this pace up, obviously adding that other wild card spot really, really helps them. I mean, probably benefit them more than anyone. But um, yeah, I mean, again, you're getting those vibes where like you're like this is. Uh, I mean, the game in Tampa over the weekend that they won. You're like this is a game they lose by five last year. Mm-hmm. This is you know it, it, they'll lose a game in a heartbreaking fashion, and and last year they would have lost it by ten. I would have switched the game by the third inning, and then. You know, they pull these wins out. So, yeah, like you said, the 2012 team had a lot of special traits. And I think this team kind of shared some of those same ones. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Now, the O's are 46 and 46, despite having a negative run differential, minus seven. 
A concern with a team like this season's Orioles team can be that the team is playing over its head. Uh, Do you have a concern that the O's are going to fade as this season goes on or not so much? The only thing that that kind of concerns me like that, again, is losing some of the pieces. You could have a Trey Mancini being gone. You could have an Anthony Santander being gone. You know, maybe an Odor, Jordan Lyles, anyone who is a possible trade candidate. Obviously, if they're going to lose production there, then, yeah, they, they may take a step back. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's definitely a legitimate concern. Um, and, again, just kind of running out of gas. These are a lot of young guys. Tyler Wells has been their ace this year after being a Rule 5 guy last year and with John Means going down five games into the season this year. But, again, he's kind of on a pitch limit They've kind or an innings limit. They've kind of alluded to that. They didn't say really what it was, but, you know, there's a chance he doesn't finish September. Um I mean, it's it's definitely a concern, and again, I don't think anyone would be disappointed. Like, if they end up finishing, I don't know, ten games under five hundred. I don't think anyone's going to be like, man, this 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 season stunk. They they crapped the bed down the stretch. Um, but I, again, I, I think it all just kind of depends on who they trade number one, and again, who those AL beast teams do end up getting. Because again, say the Rolls, the Rays bolster their lineup, or the Jays add another weapon, or you know, the Yankees are going to do something. Who knows? Um, so, again, it kind of just depends on that schedule and, and how they match up with that. And, again, who, who's on the roster? Because if, if they do trade some of these guys, we could see a lot of the – a couple more young guys coming up to uh, to fill their place. And, you know, they, they may be in a little bit over their head in a, in a September AL East uh, matchup. You mentioned the MLB trade deadline August 2nd at 6 p.m. Eastern. Should the Orioles' surprising success this season at all change their approach to the deadline, or do you want to see Mike Elias stick to the process? I think you stick to the to the process, or you know, and 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 you follow you you let this thing play its course. Um, again, I, I I love Trey Mancini. I've, I've been able to grow a personal relationship with him over the past couple of years. Um, he, he's a great guy. He's an awesome ball player. I think if someone offers you, you know, a, a, a decent prospect hall form, I think you take it. I'm not talking about a 24 year old who's been stuck in Double A for four years and you know has shown no signs of getting better. I think you're not just going to trade these guys just to trade them. Um, I also don't want them to go out and mortgage, you know, their future to get a starting pitcher or something like that. I just I don't think nothing like that is going to put them over the top. I think. And I, again, I, I think you kind of just stand pat and. If someone offers you a, a deal for a Santander or a Jordan Lyles, someone like that, I think you do it. Jorge Lopez, who we saw in the All-Star game last night. I think, if again, if someone is going to overpay, absolutely. You take that trade. You you do that, and, and you know you, you wish them the very best, and, and we just continue this rebuild. Because, again, they're just stocking this pond full of these big prospects. And that's I've kind of referred to it as that before, these fish hatcheries that just stock these ponds with massive bass. That's what they're just doing, just tossing more prospects into the pond. And I think if you can do that, you do it. Um, and then again, maybe next year is the year that you try and be a buyer. Obviously, you're hoping to spend more in the offseason. So I, I again, I'm, I don't want to trade these guys just to trade them. But I think if you can get something decent back for them, I think you definitely have to explore it. Yeah, I'm with you. In fact, I think that the Orioles' surprising success this season is actually all the more reason to stick to the process and to be aggressive sellers come the MLB trade deadline because what has happened so far this season is validation for the process. What the Orioles are doing is working. The rebuild is working. And so that brings me to this, the criticism that the O's have sustained uh, with their rebuild. Um, Look, 
you can approach what the O's have done over the last few years, you know, this all in tank in order to reshape the organization in a new, far more progressive way in a variety of ways. I have been in favor of this. I know that this approach has been painful, but I've always believed in this approach being the right approach. But there certainly have been critics. I mean, probably the most prominent one has been ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney. What have you made of the criticism of the Orioles rebuild? Has the criticism been fair to a degree or has the criticism been way off base? I, I kind of in the middle, like I, I definitely think it's fair because, um, again, it's not good for baseball. And you see what's going on in Oakland and you see, you know, uh, early on with the Reds, stuff like that with what they were doing. You know, these teams that have zero desire to compete, it's not good. It's not a good product. And and again, I, I understand Buster, you know, taking his shots and, and, you know, kind of criticizing the Orioles. I think Orioles fans were just kind of confused because, again, he had those articles pop up from a couple of years ago being like, the athletics need to do what the Astros did and the Cubs did and they rebuilt. And it's like, so it was fine when they did it, but when the Orioles did it, that's what, that's where the issue was. And again, I don't know why, I don't know if it was low hanging fruit. Obviously he, he's, he worked in Baltimore before who knows if it was something with the Angelos families, you never know with them. Um, could have been some underlying thing, but again, I, I was kind of half and half. I, I think it was easy for Buster to take his shots and he was going to get his clicks and listens on, you know, his podcast and the articles. And that's, that's just the, the nature of the game. Um, but again, I also think he had some points where, again, it's not good for baseball if the Orioles are just trotting out these guys with, you know, I mean, some of the lineups we saw last year were <laughs> pitiful. And it's, it's you know, like some of the guys on Orioles Twitter have put together like a quiz of like, can you remember who played these games last year? And I'm a guy who watches 150, 155 games a year. And I'm going, I don't remember this guy at all. Like, I, I'd never seen that guy in my life. So, yeah, I, I, again, I mean, I, I definitely get it from a national standpoint. And again, I think the Orioles were low-hanging fruit, and it was easy for Buster to pick his target and go at it. And, you know, again, I, I think some of his stuff was, was justified. Um, some of the other stuff, I think, kind of maybe, maybe came from a personal burn somewhere, somewhere way back when in Baltimore. But, I mean, he, he definitely had his point. And I think now we're all kind of just waiting, you know, when they have this success, that, that you know, eventual success. Not, I'm not talking 500 you know, what he'll say then if he'll go, hey, you know, hand up. I, I said that this was bad for baseball a couple of years ago. They've turned it around. I'm going to eat my words, you know. So I guess we'll, we'll have to wait, hopefully, another year or two to see. We're talking Orioles with Eric Arditi of Barstool Sports. Who or what with the O's would you say you were most encouraged about so far this season? There's a couple guys. Um, I think a guy like Tyler Wells, who we talked about earlier, who, again, was a Rule 5 pick from the um, – Twins last year. They put him in the bullpen. He ended up as the closer. And he, he looked really good. He looked really, really good at some points. You know, he's a big guy. He's, I mean, he's massive. He throws it very hard. And again, when you, you know, when he was in here last year, he was throwing one inning and it was like, you can kind of just let it go. When they said that they were going to make him a, 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 a starter this year, I'm kind of going, well, what are we doing? Like, we, we, we know what he can do. We've seen him in the, in the bullpen. Like, I think he's fine there. And then all he does is come out in the first half. He's 18 starts. Seven and five, which again we don't have, we don't, we don't, you don't put too much stock into the records. But I mean, his numbers are really. He's a one point eight zero WHIP. I, I mean, he's pitching really well. You know, he's not giving up that many home runs. He's not really walking guys. He's, he's decent strikeout numbers. I, I've been very encouraged by him again, just because he was a young guy kind of thrown into this. So I, I really, really enjoy seeing that. And I could also just say everyone in the bullpen. They're just a bunch of of waiver claims with 
you know, Perez, Felix Bautista is, is eight foot nine, 460 pounds, who lived in double A his whole life. And now he's up and he's one of the best relievers in baseball. Keegan Aiken was a failed starter many times over. And I remember just saying last year, like, what are we doing? Let's just, you know, cut our losses with Keegan Aiken. Now he's turned into a great reliever. And, and again, I mean, they've got some of these guys in the bullpen who are just, and again, look at the all-star game last night. Jorge Lopez turns into an all-star closer after being a, a pretty much disastrous starter the last couple of years. So I, I, I've really been impressed by them. Um, again, Tyler Wells specifically out of the rotation, the entire bullpen, I just, you got to just give it up for them. Um, and then again, I mean, I, I'll go with kind of a cliche answer. Everything turned around when Adley came up. Um, you know, the pitching got got better, even though it was really good already. Um, his offensive numbers aren't what we were looking for. And again, it's still very young. He's only played 55 games, 50 games. Um, but again, just the way he handled the pitching staff, the way he, he, he plays defense. I mean, he's throwing guys out. Him calling the games and stuff like that, it just, it, he's been praised and praised. And now we see it, the leadership, meeting guys after the inning. I mean, it, it's all been great to watch. So it's a good sign that there are a couple different answers there. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm impressed with, with everything I named. It's a little tricky right now if you are an Orioles fan because at the same time of this very encouraging season is this ownership turmoil, uh, this Angelos family feud. Uh, You have the father, Peter Angelos, having been in failing health for years. You have Louis Angelos on June 9th having filed a lawsuit against his brother, John Angelos, and their mother, Georgia Angelos, for control of the team. Uh, What do you make of this situation, and do you think that we are headed for new ownership for the O's? I think eventually we will. Again, I mean, I, I think it's just, I don't know if MLB has to step in because, again, it's not like it's really affecting anything on the field as of now. Like, it was a big story early, and then the Orioles got hot, and it all kind of went away, and you're like, all right, well, this is kind of what we want. We kind of want, you don't want the store to be the off-the-field stuff. We've seen that with the football team, you know, down in D.C. You don't you don't want to every, every morning turn on the radio and hear about the off-the-field stuff. You want to focus on the on-the-field stuff. So, I do think that we'll eventually see a, a, a sale. I don't know when. I have no idea who. You know, there's been all the rumors of Cal and and, and a couple other you know big investors. I, I got no idea on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the lawsuit is interesting. And and again, it's if you've kind of been t- been paying attention around here, you kind of kind of knew something was up because again, you always saw John. You didn't really see Lou. Um, and again, I, I mean, I think he wants a team. And and who knows about the Nashville rumors? You know, those have kind of been floated out there for a while. Um, I don't think there's anything, any merit to that, because I think if there's a handful of teams that need to move before, I think anyone would even entertain the Orioles moving. So, number one, I don't think that's something that baseball would let happen. But it's definitely not a good look for the Orioles. Again, it, especially if they, if they keep on this upward trend of, of playing well, this story is going to keep popping up. And, and again, that's not what you want. And, Hopefully they can do like a clean set, you know, sale down the line somewhere. And eventually we will get the Masson dispute, you know, that put away too. And, and then we'll see an all-star game at Camden Yard because I've, I'm dying to see a home run derby there again. I was an old, I was, I don't remember, I was four ninety three, so I don't really remember all that. But I think once all that is put to bed and again, the Masson thing, I know MLB is, is not happy with that. So hopefully once they, if they go, get all that taken care of in a nice, clean fashion, I, I think they'll be all right. One more for you. So I think that Mike Elias deserves a lot of credit for the job that he has done with the O's. But something that I think is kind of interesting to look back on now, and this is something that I brought up on the podcast recently, 
is the legacy of Dan Duquette. So Dan Duquette served as Orioles Executive Vice President of Baseball Operations from November 2011 to October 2018. And you look at the O's right now, and a number of their best position players were drafted by Duquette. Uh, First baseman slash outfielder Trey Mancini. First baseman slash outfielder Ryan Mountcastle. Center fielder Cedric Mullins. Outfielder Austin Hayes. All of those guys were drafted by Duquette. Additionally, the Orioles' top two pitching prospects, Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, they were drafted by Duquette. It's funny, man, when Dan Duquette was ousted in October 2018, I think a lot of people celebrated that. Uh, Duquette was not viewed very favorably at the time by Orioles fans off the team having had that atrocious 2018 season and the team's farm system at the time being perceived to be among the worst in the majors. But, uh, you know, I know for me now, looking back on things, I think Dan Duquette's legacy with the O's looks a lot better. Uh, Where are you looking back on Dan Duquette? Yeah, I mean that, that's a great that's a great question, and it's a great point that again he he's the one who drafted a lot of those guys. Um, I mean, all the guys, and yeah, it is interesting because I think people were really really soured on Dan, and and I think he kind of got a bad rap. Um, you know, again, the last couple of years, I mean, the last that 2018 season was miserable. It was it was awful, and I think a lot of people's not hate but like disdain for him comes from the Machado trade because again, like you named all those guys that they drafted, they could have loaded up on some other guys. You know, a Dustin May was thrown in there. There were a couple guys, Gavin Lux, they were talked about, that could have come back in that trade. And it seems like right now the only guy that we may see at the big league level is Dean Kramer, who has turned into a good pitcher this year. But when you're trading a guy like Manny Machado, you need to you need a good return on that to justify it. So I think when that whole thing kind of got botched, people kind of threw out, again, they, they don't think that he drafted Grayson and Dial and Cedric and Austin Hayes and all those guys, you know. They, they think of well, he screwed up the Machado trade. And it's like, you know what? Maybe he did, but I think you kind of still have to look. Like you said, you named all those guys. Mountcastle, you know, Mancini, you named all those guys. Duquette brought them in. Duquette was the one who, he was signing Nelson Cruz. He was signing Mark Trumbo. He was doing a lot of those pieces. He he brought in those pieces that that helped them have the success that they had from 2012 to 2016. And, you know, I think people talk about the way that the Adam Jones, you know, the end of his his tenure went in in um in Baltimore and and again I mean people forget after the 2014 season there was that thing where he flirted with the Blue Jays and he, he seemed like he wanted to go there yeah so again I don't know if that is when people started souring on him but I I do think you have to look back and kind of tip your tip your hat to him and say you know hey this isn't all Mike Elias and and I think people do realize that like this isn't all Elias he he didn't you know. He's drafted Adley. He's drafted Heston Kerstad. He's drafted, you know, uh, Colton Kowser and those guys. But like you mentioned, the guys that were, see, you know, D.L. Hall is knocking on the door. Grayson should have been up already, if not for the injury. He's the one that brought those guys in. So, yeah, I, I think you can't I, – I get why O's fans would kind of be upset. But, again, at the end of the day, you got to look back and be like, hey, he's the one. If Elias is moving into this house and, and you know, finishing – putting on the finishing touches on it – Duquette really built the the foundation and, and started the building of it. Um, and again, for that, I think you have to just, I think you just have to, you know, be happy that, that he was here. Again, I, it, it did not end very well. And, you know, I it, it sucks because when I think it was, I forget who got inducted into the into Boston's the Red Sox Hall of Fame or something this year. And they were playing the Orioles and Duquette sitting on the other side. And I was like, man, that's kind of <laughs> it's kind of funky because, again, he's looking like you mentioned. He's watching Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins and Trey Mancini and Mountcastle and all these guys warm up. And he's like, 
drafted him, drafted him, drafted him, drafted You know, again, he's a, he's got a hell of an eye for talent. And again, we've seen that with those old Expos teams. And I mean, he traded for Pedro twice, you know, like he, he knows what he's doing. So, yeah, I, I think people kind of have a short memory with him. And I also think the Chris Davis thing kind of, even though apparently that was not on him at all, I think it falls on him. And I, again, I think he gets a bad rap for that. Yeah, uh, that certainly seems to have been much more of an Angelos decision than that was a Dan Duquette decision. Eric Arditi of Barstool Sports, co-host of the Exit 52 podcast. Eric, I really enjoyed this, man. Thanks so much for your time and all the best to you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Again, hopefully we're talking uh, we're talking soon when they always creep above 500 or uh, they're getting uh, they're sneaking in the wild card or something like that. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Next week, a big week on the podcast, as next week includes the start of 2022 Commander's Training Camp. It'll begin on Wednesday, July 27th. Uh, Commander's players are due to report for conditioning tests on Tuesday, July 26th. And so on Monday's show, episode 361. We will have plenty on the Commanders in preparation for the start of training camp, and we will have plenty on the Nationals and the Orioles as each team's post-All-Star break portion of the season is beginning this weekend. The Nats this weekend will play a three-game series at the Arizona Diamondbacks, and who knows (laughs) what might pop up with this situation for right fielder Juan Soto. Look, he could be traded uh, by the time we reconvene for Monday's show. We have no idea at this point. Hopefully, though, Juan Soto will fly out to Arizona comfortably. Uh, the O's this weekend, they will play a three-game series against the major league-leading New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. You know, the D.C. Strangler. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.